Rusty Quill presents. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I've just done something really stupid. Oh, I turned on my phone. I know it was a bad idea. It's just... It's my birthday. It's been my birthday for three minutes. I just wanted to see... I don't know. I wanted to know if people missed me. Turns out my mum's been trying to make plans with me all week. She doesn't know why I'm not talking to her anymore. She's worried she's done something wrong. She wants to go out for lunch, she said. We don't have to talk. I feel so bad. And now in the morning she's going to see I've read the texts. How the hell am I... How am I going to... I don't know how to explain this. How can I explain this? I haven't thought about this yet. I haven't had enough time. I've been so preoccupied with all of everything. And I'm, I'm so bad at this. I'm so phenomenally bad at this. I'm the worst at being a vampire that anyone has ever been. I don't even know how I'm as bad at it as I am. It's not even a conscience thing. It's... And Nej is so kind about it. And it's horrible because it's like... He's not nice about things, you know? He's not like that. But this, he's like, Oh, Alfie, don't worry. It happens to everyone sometimes. But then he's clearly so frustrated. Clearly. Because who wouldn't be, you know? He's still babysitting me. And... I need to get out of the house. But I was I feel so horrible. I hate it in here. I can't go outside. I hate this. This is Not Quite Dead. Episode 17. Playing Favourites. Nash hasn't completely stopped talking to me, which is something at least. He's out again, clubbing, probably, drinking little bits of people. Last night when he came home, I could tell he'd been drinking booze too. I could taste the vodka in his blood. God, I sound like a miserable housewife, don't I? I say he's not nice, 
He is, kind of. He's patient. He feels bad, I think, about the other night. He's not said anything, but he's being... He's not brought it up, and it's the kind of thing I'd imagine he'd usually bring up. He's got a comment about most things. The cushions on the couch he hates. He doesn't like the smell of my fabric softener. The way the pull for the light in the bathroom clinks against the wall when you walk past it, he doesn't like that either. Also things that Nash doesn't like. The colour of the cabinets. The handles on the cabinets. The fact the bath is made of plastic. The fact I don't have a separate shower. The sound of the shower curtain. The texture of my bath mat. The texture of the carpets. The number of socks I own. The way I ball up my socks to store them instead of folding them because apparently that wears out the elastic. Oh, and swing top bins, on street parking, polyester, measuring cars in horsepower, driving on the left, driving on the right, underwired bras, laudanum and Cornish pasties. So far I've managed to pin down three things that he does unambiguously like, and those are sex, blood and the song Like a Prayer by Madonna. Not necessarily in that order. You will notice that I am not included on either of these lists. I don't think he hates me, but to say he likes me would be a significant overstatement. But he has been feeding me. Every day he goes out and he comes back and he sits across from me on the floor and he lets me drink from the crook of his arm. So he can't hate me, because he doesn't want me dead. He lets me lie in his lap, runs his hands through my hair, lets me lull into that not-quite-sleep that comes over me when I've drunk from him. It's not quite like exhaustion. It's not quite like passing out drunk, either. It's something else. Heavy, but soft. He lets me lie with him through it, until I do eventually sleep, or I can find it within myself to move off him. Sometimes when I'm lying there, he talks to me. Softly, swiftly, lapsing in and out of other languages. Mostly French, but others too. He speaks about the flat, mostly. Complaining about things. He also talks about people he's fed on. And what he thinks of York. He doesn't like it, unsurprisingly. But yesterday, he talked about the sunrise. He said that for the longest time, he couldn't bear to watch it. Centuries passed, he said, and the brightness hurt his eyes too much to watch the sunrise directly. It was different back then, he said. Vampires might go months without crossing paths with someone to feed upon. That was why there was so much devastation, he told me. Any time they came across a new settlement, it was like an oasis in a desert. The first few hundred years of his life, he said, were these deserts of starvation punctuated by bright red. I was drifting into sleep by then, and he'd also started speaking French. But it wasn't French like I knew it from old movies. It was stranger. It felt older. He felt older. I turned over that idea in my head a lot. The first few hundred years of his life. He's old. Older than I can really get my head around. Older than I think you could reasonably express with words. There's something about the taste of his blood, I think. It's like water from a mountain spring, so delicately infused with pine and nectar. It lights a fire in my stomach when I swallow it, cold flames licking at my insides. Nash lets me drink and drink and drink, and it barely makes him flinch. I remembered something that Casper said, that the older a vampire gets, the less blood he needs to live on. Nash goes out every night to hunt, but it's clearly just for me. And still he doesn't complain about it. 
He hasn't shouted at me since he took me out with him, but I can tell he's frustrated. Frustrated, but patient. I don't know why that makes it all feel so much worse, but it does. I don't want him to be kind. I don't want him to be nice. I want him to... I don't know what I want from him. More importantly, I think, I don't know what he wants from me. He came here looking for Casper, he said, and sure, he brings him up often enough. He told me that one time he and Casper snuck into a medieval fort in Mid-Wales because they'd heard that there was a man from Norway in the dungeons and they'd never tasted a Norwegian before, so they thought they'd give it a go. He told me that he and Casper once swam to Venezuela from Puerto Rico because they got caught halfway through a local priest. He said he and Casper once rode on horseback from central China to the north coast of Russia so they could watch the northern lights above the Lapte Sea. Sometimes he talks about Casper like he's an old friend. Sometimes he talks about him like a lover. Sometimes he talks about him like a divorcee. He says he's the one who cleans up Casper's messes. I don't know what that means. If Nej is here to clean me up, I wonder what that might mean in the end too. Casper always made it sound like he'd been alone for so long. He was with Antoinette for a few decades until he killed her to avenge Paulina, and then he became this vampire avenger, going from place to place, setting vampires' wrongs to rights. It all sounded so lonely when Cass spoke about it. I remember him telling me about this town that he'd gone to in Romania. Casper had been drifting across Romania for weeks. It was around the turn of the century, not long after the novel Dracula had been published. For a while, Cass said he got very interested in trying to work out where the vampires in the story came from. In the novel, Dracula is almost a singular creature. He makes his company for himself. He craves Jonathan Harker's modern blood to acquaint himself to a new century. Cass had heard vampire stories before. Older, more disparate ones. He had no reason to believe the stuff in Dracula was real or based anywhere, in fact. He knew that there was likely more truth in those stories with ancient roots about creatures that came in the night and drained your soul kiss by kiss or cut by cut. But there was something compelling to him about Dracula. Naturally, he started his search in Transylvania. It wasn't because he thought he was going to find anything there, necessarily. It just seemed like the most sensible place to start. He kept a copy of Bram Stoker's novel in his pocket and followed Jonathan Harker's route as closely as he could. He even ate paprika hendel, he said, even though he rarely ate human food at all back then and it caused him awful stomach pain whenever he did because his body wasn't used to it. He walked and walked, trying his best to pick up local dialects, and he found nothing. Barely a whisper or a trace of anything even remotely like the vampire from the story everyone was reading. That was until he had almost hit the border with Hungary. There was a small town in a valley. The people were ordinary and exceptional, but there was a strange quiet in the streets. Many of the houses stood empty and unoccupied. And then there was the smell. The sweet stink of decay. And underneath it, faint but unmistakable, a vampire. They didn't like Casper in the town. They saw something familiar in him that made them frightened. That much he could tell. He wondered at it for a while. Did they keep their distance from him because they'd learned what vampires were? Had whoever had taken up residence in this town decided it was best to be public about what he was? 
Casper's grasp of the language was rocky, and this combined with their apprehension around him made it almost impossible to work out what they thought was going on, and even harder to work out what they thought of Casper himself. Late at night, Casper walked the town's quiet streets. There was no sound but the whistle of the wind and the clang of the bells that hung on the necks of the goats many of the townspeople kept on the hillsides. Casper followed his nose to the source of the rot. It did not lead him to the kind of place he'd been expecting. He'd been imagining a mass grave. Instead, he walked to a barn. The door was nailed shut. Casper walked down the building's sides and peered through the gaps in the wood plank walls. He could see shapes like people on the ground between the hay bales. He reached up and pulled the plank down with his hands, the smell of decay, sweet and rancid, wafting out into the night. Flies buzzed about the bodies which lay here and there like dropped marionettes. They were all close to the walls, some of them slumped against them, others lying face down, arms reaching. The wooden walls were streaked with blood, old, rancid, nauseating. In some of the cracks between the planks, there were strips and hunks of flesh sloughed off the hands of the things lying at Casper's feet. They were half-maids, at least fifty of them. Men, women, children. As Casper examined their battered remains, a side door to the barn that he hadn't noticed was there, clattered open. One of the townspeople stood, pitchfork raised, another holding a lantern aloft behind him. They spoke to Casper in angry, rapid tones. He tried to explain that he was just trying to find out what was going on, but he never knew how much they understood. Before he could make sense of it, someone grabbed him from behind, slinging a rope around his head and pulling it taut into his mouth. It was clear the townspeople had dealt with a vampire before. Once his teeth were useless, people rushed Casper from both sides to pin his arms. They tied him up firmly, and though it took five of them to pin him to the ground once they were finished, Casper couldn't break free. They dragged Casper by the rope in his mouth through the street and slung him into a coal shed. He heard chains rattle. Casper strained against his bindings, but they were tight. He'd have to break his wrist to be free of them. There were plenty of rocks of coal to make that easier than it might have been otherwise, but it was still breaking his own wrist. Vampires are less fragile than people, he said, but it doesn't mean things hurt any less. In fact, the added resilience meant it would take a lot of force to get the bone to snap, so if anything, it only made it feel worse. I remember I called him up on that. How can your bones be different, I said. Casper looked at me. Do you know how much blood a vampire bat needs to consume to stay alive, he said. As in, a bat that's a vampire or a normal vampire bat? A vampire's abnormal, said Casper. You tell me, I said. Casper sighed. A vampire bat needs such a high quantity of blood every day that they often consume so much they can't fly safely after they feed. Blood is an extremely inefficient way to get nutrients. Which means that what happens inside of me is not the same as what's happening inside of you. Blood isn't replacing food one-to-one -one like that. However it works, whatever the mechanism, it's not human. It's not even mammalian. I've become something else. A different sort of life form entirely. He looked repulsed as he spoke, the same sort of look on his face he got when he looked at his own reflection. He saw himself as something disgusting, something I should fear and push away. But I wouldn't. I couldn't. 
That's not what he was. He was soft and kind and beautiful. He was my Casper. He is my Casper. <sighs> Nash has his theories for how it all works internally. He says it's like a virus. That whatever it is that lives in a vampire's blood, it infects a human body, replaces it cell by cell, and then puppets the preserved corpse around for the sole purpose of self-replication, the way all viruses work. Which is interesting, because I feel the same. I feel like me, but with, I don't know, something else. Like how I imagine it might feel to be possessed by a ghost that won't speak to you, and instead uses you to achieve its own ends without explaining anything. Like, part of it, part of what it is in me, the stopping point, when, when I put my teeth against Nesh's skin and I feel the flesh begin to give, what it is that makes me stop, that locks my jaw, that holds me fast in place, part of that is this sense of control. I have to stop because if I don't, it's gone, that feeling that I'm in charge. If I bite, I let that hunger in me take me under. I surrender something, and I i can't do that. I can't surrender anything else. I've let so much go already. And then I think about Casper. I think about how it felt when he almost killed me, and what I said to him, that I knew what he was. He's a vampire. That it happened because of him being a vampire, and I love him, really, not in spite of what he is, but in part because of that. I love him. I love that he's a vampire. Would I love him if he wasn't? Of course I would. But it's like, if he wasn't a vampire, we'd never have met. He wouldn't be the Casper I know if he was born now. Him as I know him and love him. That version of him exists because he's a vampire. So how can I not love that part of him too? If I wasn't a vampire, I'd be dead. If I wasn't a vampire, I just wouldn't be. So why does it feel so different when it's me? Why is it so frightening to see exactly what I saw and loved in Casper in myself now? Why does it feel so much more scary this way round? Casper told me his story about looking for Dracula because of what happened in the coal shed. He broke his wrist, slipped free of his bindings, and lay panting and aching on the ground for hours whilst it healed and sapped the strength from his muscles and made that deep, burning hunger flare hot and bright in his throat. I know how hard it is to think in those moments, how it consumes you, the need to consume. It feels like a black hole of wanting, it's so big and it draws in so much. And as he lay there needing to feast, he smelled it. The other vampire. It was hunched in the corner, its face against the wall. Casper pulled it back. Its eye, where it had been peering out of a small hole in the wood of the shed, was frozen and covered with a thin film of frost. The vampire hissed, arms stiff, partially frozen up against its chest. Its fingers were severed, the ragged stumps raw and frozen. There was a crust of dried blood on its chin, Casper could smell that it wasn't human blood. Stepping closer, he saw the vampire's jaw was completely shattered. Its mouth gaped as it hissed at him, and from ragged, oozing gums, Casper saw just a few splinters of tooth and bone peeking through the flesh. Casper sat and looked at it for a long time as it continued to feebly hiss at him. 
didn't have the strength to even writhe on the ground. Covered in frost and coal, Casper could not tell its age or gender, and so depleted was its blood it was impossible for him to tell how long since it had been turned. But he knew it had been about a month since it had fed. No doubt it had tried to bite itself in desperation, had kept damaging its own jaw as it tried uselessly to chew its way out of the coal shed. That was when Casper really realised what he was, he said. Maybe he could speak, maybe he could walk around, but in the end, that hissing monster chewing off its own fingers, that's what he was at his core. But, I don't know, I don't think we should be defined by what we're forced to become when we're bound up, beaten and imprisoned. I don't think that's a fair standard to hold anyone to, especially not yourself. Under the right set of circumstances, anyone can be pathetic, anyone can be a monster. That's the reality of it, you know? To have it fixed in your head that any one category of person is wrong or bad purely just by its nature, that's a terrible mistake because it's an awful thing to say, but also it means you miss the truth that really anyone, regardless of what they look like, where they come from, the circumstances of their birth, anyone can be a monster. I know this better than most. Casper got upset then. He never finished telling me the story. He never explained how he got out of the coal shed or where he went next and... I'm not angry, really. I'm just... I wish he'd explained more. I wish he'd told me about Nej. I wish that all the stories he told me about himself and his past didn't end so awfully. If there are so many of them that ended in a way that's less depressing and results in less of a total condemnation of his personal character, you know? That is just what Casper was like. Nej, you... But I thought you were out. How long have you... I've been there the whole time. I'm a vampire, but I can't teleport, Alfie. And your sense of hearing should be so keen that you would not have missed me coming in, unless that part of your vampirism is malfunctioning in the same way that your appetite is. Oh, right. Casper has his problems, mon petit. Don't make the mistake of making them yours, too. Don't call me that. Mon petit, why not? It makes me feel pathetic. Well then, I think it is a very appropriate nickname in the circumstances. Jesus Christ, you are so incapable of... What the fuck is wrong with you? Why are you even here? It is ridiculous that you need to ask that. Yeah, it is. But somehow, I think the reason that you think that and the reason I think it are very different. Perhaps. So tell me, why won't you leave me alone? You think you could survive alone? You think you'd make it if I left? Don't you understand that the drive for blood, the very thing you fear so much that it makes you deny your own nature? Do you not know that in two days without me feeding you, it would swallow you all? Of course I know that. So be grateful for me then. I just don't understand why you're here. Is it not enough that I am? I, I don't know. I just... I don't know. Gaspar has never tried to turn another vampire himself, not alone, not without Antoinette forcing his hand. He has taken many humans to his bed, but you... He kept you alive. At great personal cost, he kept you alive. He chose you, mon petit. So you're looking after me for him? No. I'm looking after you because I trust his judgement. If he kept you alive... You're worth looking after. Oh. Whether we save him alive or not, you are, as I say, stuck with me. Save him alive? You, you say that like there's a way to save him where he's not alive, but like, if he's dead, we haven't saved him. Ah, gentil garçon. If death is the only release I can give him, I will give it, without hesitation. Is it that bad? 
I do not delay our rescue out of neglect, Alfie. I promise you that. First, I need to help you. Comprend? Yeah, I comprehend it. I don't think you do. You must feel it, the call inside you. You feel it here, right below the navel, and here in your throat, yes? Yes. Bien. Now, breathe deep. You will sense the memory of the people who have been here before. The flavour of their blood on the wind. You can tell apart any human by their smell alone. Know where they've been, what they have eaten, what they do for a living. You are a fine-tuned instrument, mon petit. Do you feel it? Um, I don't know. Shh, of course you do. You know it. You feel it. You feel strong. You feel hungry, but you know satisfaction will come. You feel beautiful. La belle et la bête, tu en toi. You are a magnificent thing. No. Oh, but you are. And you know you are. Say it. I am a magnificent thing. No, mon petit. Like you mean it. With your old chest. What are you? A vampire. And? I'm magnificent. Oui, mon petit. Yes, you are. And you're going to stop recording yourself and you're going to bite me. D'accord? Oui. Uh, I mean, yes. Good. Now, do it. Not Quite Dead is written, performed, and edited by Aira Major under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution license. Live. Laugh. Bite. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.